0: All right, turn to Nehemiah 3 and Luke chapter 5, all right? And we're just going to read one verse in Nehemiah 3 because we're going through the book of Nehemiah in this series, and then we'll get to Luke chapter 5. We're in a series entitled, The Blueprint, God's Master Plan for Your Life. And we're going through the book of Nehemiah in this series, and each time, we've already talked about now the literal meaning of Nehemiah. We are now talking about the spiritual meaning of Nehemiah, in in that Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit. So last week we talked about shepherds are part of his plan because the first gate that they rebuilt was the sheep gate. Now look at Nehemiah chapter three, verse three. Says Also the sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. So this is the second gate that they built, the fish gate. Now The Sheep Gate was named the Sheep Gate, I just want to remind you, last week, because it's a gate they brought sheep in. Anyone have a a, a clue of why they named this one the Fish Gate? They brought fish in. Okay, these were not creative people, alright? They didn't... They brought sheep in the gate, so they called it the sheep gate. They brought fish in the gate, they called it the fish gate. That's all there was to it. They brought fish in from the Jordan River, from the Sea of Galilee, and even from the Mesopotamian Sea to sell in the markets. That's all That's the only literal meaning of the gate. It's not a big deal. But what's the spiritual meaning? I think it's amazing when we talk about rebuilding the church of God... That the first gate was sheep, that that is God is concerned as our shepherd about us as sheep. We talked about that last week. But His second concern is fish. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus called the disciples, what did He say to them? Follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. God is concerned about His people, but He's concerned about the whole world. And the fish gate would represent evangelism. Now, turn to Luke chapter 5. And let me show you this call to the disciples when they were fishing. It's also in Matthew and Mark, but I want to show it to you in Luke. Luke 5, verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about Him to hear the word of God, that He stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That is the Sea of Galilee. Different regions called it by their own city's name. Uh, The Sea of Tiberias it's called. It's all the Sea of Galilee. They just did that because they just wanted it to be their little lake. But... It's the Sea of Galilee, alright? And they saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat. That's James and John. And the partners in this boat, Simon's partner was Andrew. Alright? So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the nets so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell it down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners, I told you that a moment ago, with Simon, and it doesn't mention Andrew, but Andrew is Simon's partner. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men." So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed Him. Now there's a couple of things that are interesting. If we look at the spiritual analogy of this passage as well, there's a huge harvest of fish. Jesus likens it to catching people. And that's what he calls them to do, to be disciples, to be fishers of men. There's a huge harvest at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And at the end of Jesus's ministry, he performs this miracle again. Many people believe that this is prophetic of the first great harvest and the last great harvest of souls that's going to happen. The first great harvest happening in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out the last great harvest coming before the second coming we as believers should be believing God with lots of other scriptures about another harvest before the second coming of Christ and I think that's what this refers to spiritually speaking now let me show you some things if you're going to become a fisher how you're going to do it and the name of this the message last week it was shepherds are a part of his plan this week the title of the message is fishing is a part of his plan But before you go to Bass Pro this afternoon, (laughs) let me say that that's not the kind of fishing I'm talking about, alright? Alright, so if you're going to become a fisher of people, let me show you some things you've got to do from this passage. Number one, do something even though you're tired. Now, how many of you have ever, at one time in your life, been tired? (laughs) Anyone? We're a tired generation. Would you agree with that? We have more things going on in our lives than any previous generation. We don't just sit on the porch in the evenings anymore. We're constantly going somewhere. As a matter of fact, we are so tired that even after we quit working, we're called re tired. I made that up. And I thought it's funny, so I don't care whether you liked it or not. We just get tired all over again. We're a tired generation. Here's what's happening though. They had fished all night. Now they were not doing the kind of fishing we do today. They didn't drop a hook in the water and just wait for something to happen and take a nap and eat a bologna sandwich while they were waiting for the fish to come. They threw heavy, large nets out and pulled them back in. And threw them back out and pulled them back in and threw them back out and pulled them back in. And they didn't do it till one or two in the morning. We just heard they fished all night. They had fished the whole night. They had not slept at all. And they probably fished through the morning hours. This great multitude that was there wasn't there at 7 in the morning. They were probably there at 10 or 11 in the morning. And they would already fished. Now they're cleaning the nets. They're still working. And yet Jesus asked Peter to do something. I want you to think about what He asked him to do. He did not ask him to be a great apostle. He asked him to put the boat out a little bit and just kind of hold it in place. And if you know anything about boating, and I have a boat, boats don't stay where you want them to stay. They drift. So you got to do something. He had to keep it from drifting in or drifting out, depending on the wind and the current. So he's just I just want you to just go out from the shore just a little bit so that I can teach the multitudes. It was a menial task. How many menial tasks does God ask us to do? So that the kingdom can be advanced. Think about this. Think about how many menial tasks are done every weekend at Gateway Church. So we can hear the word. Many times when I come in, I pass the uh, nurseries. And so so I stop and talk to the ladies that are working in the nursery. And many, many times I've said to them, I could not do what I do without you doing what you do. Would you agree with that? It would be very difficult to preach or hear the Word with a whole bunch of screaming babies in here, right? And the, the, the ones that would be the, the most annoyed by it would be the moms trying to take care of these children. I, one uh, friend of mine was preaching, and there was a baby who just kept crying and crying and crying, and he finally decided to say something. He thought he'd make a joke, but it didn't turn out, you know, good. You know how that happens? He said, Lady, why don't you take that baby out and rock him to sleep, and if he doesn't stay asleep, use a bigger rock. Well, <clears throat> that wasn't funny. <laughs> It's funny now, but it wasn't funny then, believe me. So the point is, God might ask you to do something small for the kingdom of God. And that's what He asked Peter to do. And let me just explain something to you. Let me say something. Think about what I'm about to say. You will never do anything big for God unless you first do something small for Him. You will never do anything big for God if you won't do something small for Him. And there are a lot of people in the kingdom that are going to do something big for God and they never do it because they won't do something small. So do something even if you're tired. Here's point two. Let down your net. Let down your net. Verse four. When He stopped speaking, He said to Simon, Launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, let me give you some wisdom here. Nets that are not in the water... Don't catch fish. I know that that's very profound. I thought of that myself as well. Very profound. But there are a lot of believers that don't even have a hook in the water. They're not trying to catch anything. It reminds me of the old cartoon I saw of the country guy. Had on coveralls and had his hat and was was kind of lying on the shore of the river and propped up against a tree, hat down over his eyes. Had his legs crossed and his fishing pole going between his toes. And some of you may have seen this a long time ago, but the hook was about that far above the water. Not even in the water. And this city fellow, you could tell he was dressed a little differently, said to him, did you know your hook is not in the water? And the country guy said, yep. And he said, well, why did you do that? And here's what he said, don't want to catch nothing. He wanted to just take a nap. He wasn't really fishing. He just wanted to appear to be fishing, but he wanted to take a nap. I wonder how many believers... Don't want to catch nothing. Because then they might have to get involved in the person's life. Or help them. And you know, I would just rather you, you pastors catch the fish. Well, it's not going to work that way. Jesus called disciples to be fishers of people. That's why we're here. Did you know that? Did you listen to me? The only reason you're on the earth is to fish. And I thought about this statement a lot because I get all sorts of people ask me all sorts of questions, you know, and emails about messages and you said this and you said that. And sometimes if it's four or five sources, I don't remember what I said. But, it, you know, I get also and I thought, well, don't, don't I probably want to say the main th- reason. No, I'm telling you the only reason you want to know why I would say that. Here's why. Because, yes, we want to worship God, and know God as believers, but we're going to do that in heaven, too. Everything we think about, about communion with God, we're going to do in heaven, except one thing. There's only one thing that we can do now that we can't do then. It's fish. I mean, matter of fact, you can worship God better in heaven than you can here. So, when you get saved, why does God leave you here? You know what we ought to do? We ought to just give the altar ministry team guns. And then as soon as someone gets saved, we just send them on to heaven. Because you can worship God better in heaven. Now, now they don't have guns, okay? If you if you want to come for prayer today, I can just see today. Y'all come for prayer. I'm coming kind of for prayer. No, they don't, okay. But the point is, why have you ever thought about it? Why are you on this earth as a believer? To win people to Jesus, to help other people, to be light and salt. That's what Jesus said. You're light and salt. If the salt doesn't do what it's supposed to do, we're in trouble. We're supposed to change the world. We're supposed to flavor the world. So that's why we're here. But I have some questions for you. Don't raise your hands on these. But do you have your hook in the water? Are you trying to catch someone? Do you have bait on your hook? Do you even own a fishing pole? Have you ever signed up for fishing lessons? We have classes here all the time, equipping classes, to help people to learn how to fish. You do not have to be afraid of fishing, because we'll help you learn how to fish. The reason we're here is to fish. Let me say it another way. You know why Jesus came to earth? Fish. Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to fish. Alright, here's number three. Don't argue, just obey. Don't argue, just obey. Verse 5, Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word I will let down the net. Now, I don't think he was arguing. I think he was just expressing a fact. We're tired. We haven't caught anything. But if you say it, we'll do it. And he did it. We've got to get over all of our arguments against witnessing. Spending time with people that don't know the Lord and helping them and ministering them. We've got to get over all that stuff. Now, I'm going to share with you a revelation that I've shared here before several years ago, but the church has grown, and even if you were here then, you need to hear it again. This is one of the deepest revelations I think the Lord has ever given me. And so if you're writing, I want you to write it down, alright? If you're not writing, I want you to write it down, okay? Here's the deepest revelation God's ever given me. Dogs bark. This is deep. Cats meow. Meow. And sinners sin. Now, here's why I'm telling you this. It is amazing to me how many believers get shocked when sinners sin. That's what they do. Think of the word sinners. <laughs> Let me say it another way. Hunters hunt. hunt. Golfers. Golf. I said that one time, and a lady said lie. Well, that's true too. But that's not what the word means. So, hunters hunt, golfers golf, sinners sin. sin. Don't, don't get upset and don't get shocked. And here's another thing, Christians, don't get offended. Don't get offended when a sinner sins. That's what he was made to do. That's what he was born to do. That's what he was designed to do. That's his nature. It's what, it's what they practice. Listen, I was so good at sinning before I got saved, I've been saved 25 years I'm still trying to quit. Don't look at me that way. You are too. Right? So if we're struggling with sin, why would we ever get mad at a sinner for struggling with sin? Don't argue with a sinner about who he voted for. Sinners vote for the wrong person. That's what sinners do. Why argue politics with a sinner? Of course he's wrong. He's a sinner. i tell you what we could do, though. We could do what Jesus did. We could love them. One of our elders owns a construction company, and he got a phone call to, to meet a lady about uh, building an office building, and he just had this funny feeling about it, and he began to pray about it. So he spoke to his wife about it, and uh, he told his wife, and she said, well, who's the lady that called? And, and he told her the name, and his wife said, well, don't you know who that is? And, and he said, no, I don't know who it is. And she said, that is the number one leading abortion activist in Dallas. Number one, she does all the interviews in the paper. She does the interviews on television. She's the, she's the leading abortion activist in, in Dallas. And so he went to the uh, appointment to meet her, to try to minister to her. And, uh, but he knew he couldn't build the building. It's okay to have conviction and to stand by your conviction. You should do that. But it doesn't mean you don't, that you don't love people. And so he went to meet her and he said to her, is this uh, an abortion clinic that you want me to build? And she said, yes, it is. I'm, did I not tell you that on the phone? It's Friday when I talked to you, and this was on Monday, and he said, no, you didn't. She said, you know, I'm sorry because I know a lot of people, they, they have a difficulty with that, and, and I normally tell them on the phone, you know, and, and uh, so she said, you, so you have a conviction against it? He said, yes, I do. He said, I'm a Christian, and uh, I, I would not be able to do that, but he said, I have a word from God for you. Now, she braced because she had gotten words from Christians before. Can you imagine what they were? She braced and said, what is it? Real hard. What is it like that? And here's what he said. And he starts crying and he says, God told me to come to this apartment and then tell you He loves you. God loves you. He loves you and He's he's loved you since you were a little girl and He knows the hurts that you went through and He's been pursuing you and He is absolutely head over heels passionately in love with you. And she started crying. She said, you are the first Christian that has ever told me that God loved me. She says, as a matter of fact, you know, they've yelled to me as I've gone into buildings, the opposite, God hates you. You're going to hell. That's what I've heard. So he said, can I pray for you? She said, yeah, he prayed for her right there. It shocked her. He prayed for her. He kept in touch with her. He and his wife began ministering to her. A few months later, his wife, when he came home, said, look at this. Open up the front page, Dallas Morning News. Leading abortion advocate quits the business. Because He loved her. That's what we should be doing. That's what Jesus did. Jesus loved sinners. And He wasn't shocked when they sinned. Don't get shocked when they sin. You know one of the reasons I think we get shocked? There's an, Let me just share with you. It can be seen in the way we drive in America and the way they drive in other countries. How many of you have ever been to another country? Can I see your hand? Okay. You know how they drive, right? They have lines on the highway, but they don't mean anything. (laughs) Bob, am I telling the truth? You've been to a few of them. All right. So you you, you pull up to an intersection and there's three lanes and five cars and four motorcycles. (laughs) They just drive all over the place. And one of the first times I was out of the country, I remember saying to this guy, I bet you have a lot of accidents here. You know what he said? Oh, no, we have very few accidents here you know why? I started thinking about this. I wonder why. you know why it is? They expect the other person to get out of their lane. They expect it. Do you know which country is number one in automobile accidents? America. Do you know why? We expect you to stay in your line. Stay in your line. When I was in this other country, we were just driving through stop signs. I mean, just driving through them. And I said to the missionary, why don't you stop at the stop signs? He said, someone will run into the back of you. <laughs> but in America, if someone runs a stop sign, we're shocked. <laughs> you didn't stop. Right? And it's the same way with the lines. We expect people to stay in the lines. We'll be going down the road and the car just gets close to the line. Oh, up! stay in your line. Stay in your line. I saw you, pal. You were about to come into my lane. Right? Okay, let me tell you how this affects us in the area of witnessing. We're expecting sinners to stay in the lines. And they don't even know there are lines. And you wouldn't know there were lines if it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus. And, even if you know there are lines, I, I, because I went to church, even though I wasn't safe, I went to church where I was safe, I knew there were lines, but I had no power to stay in the lines. The only reason that you and I get to stay in the lines at all is because of the resurrected Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's the only reason. So don't get upset with sinners if they get outside the lines. It's okay. Here's number four. Give God the glory. If you're going to be a fisher for God, give God the glory. Verse 8, Simon Peter, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, if you just look at this statement, think about this. He said to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Okay, that is the, and I know this is not a word, but I'm going to say, that is the stupidest thing you could say to Jesus. You don't want Jesus to depart from you, right? And the reason that he gave, for I am a sinful man, is the reason you need Jesus to stay. (laughs) Not go. But here's what I think Peter was saying. Here's really what I think he was saying. I think he was saying, you did this. You did this. I could not have done this. What happened today was a miracle. And God, I, I I couldn't do it. It wasn't me. It was all you. Okay. The reason we have to keep this attitude is because if we're going to minister to people, the number one attitude that will offend sinners is pride. And the number one attitude that attracts people to God is humility. That's why they wanted to hang out with Jesus all the time. Matthew uh, somewhere, put it up on the screen, Matthew 10, 19 or something like that, calls Jesus, uh, 11, 19, a friend of sinners... And Hebrews seven twenty six says he was separate from sinners. Well, how could he be a friend of sinners and separate from sinners? You all know why. He was the most holy person to ever live, but he didn't have a holier than thou attitude. Think about that. He is the most holy to ever walk on this earth, but he hadn't. He did not have a holier than thou attitude, although he was holier than all the thous. Right, but sinners just love to be around him. They love to. Why? Because he had humility. We've got to do this. We've got to give the glory. First time we're asked to lead a group. You know, a small group or something in the church. And and here's what we do before we're asked to lead it. Oh, God, please, 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 God, I'll cut down on the blue belt. Please, God, if you'll help me tonight to lead this meeting. And then we do a good job. And people come and say, boy, you did a great job. And we say, yeah, I thought I'd be good, but I didn't know I'd be this good. (laughs) I'm really good at this. And pretty soon we're in trouble. I wonder how many people experience the blessing of God once and never experience it again because they took the credit for it. And what Peter was saying was, I don't get the credit for this. Look on down when we talk about how lost people love to be around Jesus. Look on down in Luke 5 at verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, "Follow me." so he left all rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of internal, reven- internal revenue service agents and others who sat down with him, and their scribes and their Pharisees complained against him and said, "Why do you eat and drink with the IRS? <laughs> who are sin no, and sinners?" I'm just joking. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They loved being around Jesus. Think about that. Do unbelievers love to be around believers? Or do they feel like that we feel like we're better than they are? We can't do that. All right, here's number five, the last one. Forsake, follow, And fish forsake, follow, and fish. Verse 11, Luke five verse 11. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is again the parallel passage in Matthew and Mark in Matthew 4:19 says, "Follow me the famous line, and I will make you fishers of men." Satan would do everything he could to keep us from fishing. Matter of fact, He's really okay if you do all sorts of things, as long as you don't fish. I mean, you think about it. He's okay if you do all sorts of different Christian activities, as long as you don't get anyone out of hell into heaven. He's okay with it. And listen, I'm not talking about the gift of an evangelist. In um, Ephesians, we talked about last week that Jesus Himself gave gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. A lot of people say, well, I don't have the gift of an evangelist. That's not what I'm talking about. Think about this. There are people who have the gift of intercession, but everyone should pray. Right? There are people who have the gift of giving, listed in Romans 12, but everyone should tithe. Everyone should give. And there are people who have the gift of an evangelist. The gift of an evangelist, by the way, from Ephesians 4 again, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But it's for the saints that do the work of the ministry. So even though we have evangelists, everyone should witness. Everyone should fish. Look look at this verse from the Old Testament prophetically speaking of this. Jeremiah 16, 16. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, and they shall fish them. Can I tell you something? We're the fishermen he sent for. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. All right. now I'm going to say a very... Strong statement. Alright? So just brace for it, all right. If you're not fishing, you're not following. I got the Bible to back me up. Jesus did not say, Follow me, and if you work real hard, you'll get to be a fisher one day. He said, Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. So if you're not a fisher, you're not a follower. And when we take this that they forsook all and followed him, we could go another step further and say, and if you're not following, maybe it's because you haven't forsaken all. Maybe that's the holdup. Maybe you're holding on to a relationship, or you're holding on to a sin, or you're holding on to an attitude, or you're holding on to a position, or prestige, or, or money, or something like that. And because you haven't forsaken all, you're really not following, and since you're really not following, you're not fishing. So, it's really not that tough to fish. If you want to fish, just follow. And if you want to follow, you say, I have a hard time following. Forsake all. It's the old line in the wedding vows. Forsaking all others, I will cling only to you till death do us part. It's the same thing. If you're if faithful to a person, we're being faithful to Jesus. Forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. I will cling only to you till death do us part. I was out um, jogging a few weeks ago and, and um, I was at a vacation place a few hours away. And, and there was a guy that walked out to his car to put some put stuff in his trunk, you know. And I just happened to be jogging by at the same time, so I said, "Hey, how you doing?" He said, "Good." So I stopped and I went over and I introduced myself and I said, "Where do you live?" Now get this, I'm two hours away. I said, "Where do you live?" He said, "South Lake." <laughs> okay, let me just ask you something. What do you think immediately went through my mind? Okay. This is a fish. <laughs> this is a person that I could help. Find a relationship with God. So I just start talking to him. That's how easy it is. I just start developing a relationship. And eventually, he's going to see in my life what I didn't do, but what God did. And he's going to ask me about it. Fishing is a part of God's master plan for our lives. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.